The Lord be with you. And I want to one more time look at this last beatitude in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5. And let's read it in verse 11. Blessed are you. And, and however many thousands of times I've read that, I still have to stop and consider. Blessed are you. You, you have a joy to be envied. Blessed are you. Ultimate success and contentment. Blessed are you. When people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now we've, we've spent time on this already, but I want to just go. We're really walking around this verse. There is a sense in which it is too big for the brain just to read and get it. We have to walk around it and let the Holy Spirit light up the facets of this verse until its wonder lays a hold of us. Because I think that just the number of times that we've read this in the last couple of weeks, it shows that opposition to the gospel, even extreme opposition to the gospel, only serves to bring into focus the astonishing, and I use that word very carefully, astonishing, and you might remember we've defined the word astonishing as it is all through the Gospels. It means to stand outside yourself. That is, you, you've lost your mind for a moment. What, what you're looking at, you have no file in your mind for, and so you stand almost idiotically outside yourself without a mind and wondering what's going on. That's the meaning of the word as used in the gospel. Well, I'm using it right now in that sense. This is an astonishing verse. It, it, you, you, you stand speechless. What on earth does it mean? It, it speaks of something supernatural, that you have a response to persecution, whether it is physical or mental or emotional, and yet your, your response to it is totally unnatural. It, it is totally of the world of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Astonishing, supernatural, or the word, I guess, that goes with astonishing in the gospel is amazing. It's the truth of the gospel. And I think that for so many persons in this 21st century, it's even more amazing because what has been presented is a weak, insipid, almost irrelevant presentation of the gospel a mere getting out of hell free card and you'll be okay in a, this place with golden streets uh, called heaven and forever. 
which of course is just not in the New Testament. That's not the New Covenant. That, that's the makeup of religion, what the gospel is. You know, the word gospel means good news. And we are reading here, in, in yes, I'll grant you, in a strange kind of way, it presents us face to face with this gospel, this good, good news that has totally transformed our whole attitude to life. Because, as I said last week, I must underline it in purple this week, that th- th- this is not just about persecuted people. This is about this life that you have in Christ Jesus, which under persecution is shown up in vivid colors. And, and so all the truths that are here That's the reality in which those who are believers, who are in Christ, that's how we live our daily life as believers. It's all here, though shown up here in extreme. You see, you you may not be persecuted, uh, but you face all kinds of opposition at all levels and for all reasons. I'm I'm talking to persons and you are facing opposition of kind and and you're certainly facing challenges that are shaking you to the very roots of your being. You're, You're facing opportunities in life that are scary. You're facing trial that's oppressing and We're we're there. That's life. And this verse here, these verses, this last beatitude, speak to all of that, even though it shows up here as persecution. The principles here, they, they cause me to soar above opposition and trial and causes me to sink into the strength to face challenges and opportunities. And of course, what you're seeing here is the operation of the grace of God. We've talked about grace at length in in past hours. Grace is the very being, the very person of God in action in your life through the Holy Spirit. Well, here you've got it, you see. And again, it, it points out, doesn't it? We cannot live this Christian life. That, that's a, a, a wonderful bed to lie on. Jesus said, when, when the rich young ruler turned away and the disciples are uh, stunned and they say, Jesus, aren't you going to uh, go after him? And, and Jesus said, it's impossible for a person who trusts in their riches to enter the kingdom of God. And, and that was backwards to everything the Pharisees believed. And the, the disciples just stare at him. They said, then who can be saved? And Jesus, and in Mark's gospel, it says, Jesus looking on them as if he's, he's looking at them and say, boys, you're not going to believe this. He said, with, with with men, yeah, it, it's it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. I remember the day, decades and decades ago, when that verse in Mark's gospel leapt out of me, 
And as if the Holy Spirit said, would you sink down into this? It is impossible, impossible to live this Christian life. But the grace of God is His strength, His possible infused into us. And so every aspect of the Christian life, everything that we live is the grace, the strength of God, minute by minute, upholding us. And when it comes to persecution, well, there you have it. You have grace to go through. And and I remember very, very vividly that I was in a situation, I believe it was in the Philippines, deep in the South Philippines, and, and there was a communist agitation, big time. There was some change in, in the presidents, and uh, I, I forget the details, but there were communist guards present when I was to preach, and they were itching for me to say something that would give them, in, in their minds, the right to take me. And of course, um, just a few months before I was there, a, a white missionary had been taken and a great ransom and all, and he was never seen again. And here I'm standing on the platform, and there's guards at either end of the platform, uh, communist guards, and and there was that, that feeling, you know, I, I, I don't have the feeling. I, I don't think I can go through with this kind of thing. And the Holy Spirit spoke so clearly that... <laughs> You don't have the grace to die because you're not dying. You don't have the grace to be persecuted because you're not being persecuted. I've given you grace to teach, so get on and do it. And and I realized he never wastes. You never get grace that you don't need today. You have grace for the situation that you find yourself in. And And I want you to understand that the grace that multitudes of you listening need is the grace to live this incredible life. And when the day of persecution comes, you will receive the grace, the strength of God to go through and rejoice and be glad. And when the day of death comes, you will have the grace to die. You, you, you see, your life right at this moment, right at this moment as you listen to me, you, you have the grace of God that has brought to you through Jesus this life that when it faces persecution explodes in rejoice and gladness. You have that already, but you don't need the grace to do it, not yet. You see, you who listened to me as we saw last week, we live in righteousness. That is, we stand in the presence of the Father, one with Jesus in Him and He in us. And we look at the Father with our consciousness of sin in a real union with Jesus. Christ is our true life at this very moment. And we do know that in every situation that we walk into, the favor, the blessing, the grace of God is always for us. And our life here 
as we find ourselves this day is to intentionally joy in God. You see, and let me emphasize this, when it says that all this happens to you for my sake, that, that doesn't mean that you've joined a little historical society down street that on Sunday remembers an historical Jesus and, and talks about things he might have said and leaves out a lot that he said. And, and no, 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 it's not knowing about Jesus. It's certainly, it is never trying to be like him. That's not for his sake. For his sake means that he, alive out of death, ascended to the Father, is inside of you by the Holy Spirit. And you are inside of him in the presence of the Father. He's inside our deepest self. And in all of life then we, we experience his strength and his joy. And in the day of persecution, that shows up in vivid color. So, do, do you understand that? The, the, the New Testament never speaks of us trying to get joy. It speaks of the joy of Jesus being experienced in us. And I say yet again, shown up to the max in days of persecution. Uh, you see, his grace and his favor uh, is shown up to us as we go through life. You see, there, there's a thousand eyes watching you right now because they got the drift that you're one of these people. And, and so now they're watching. And Jesus gave them permission to watch. He said, by this the world shall know. And he gives the, he says, they'll look at the way you act toward each other. They'll look at the way you live. Or as Peter said, the world will come to you asking a reason for the hope that is in you. So yes, there's a thousand eyes. What did he say in Corinthians? That you are letters written and, and the whole world is reading you. Yes, that's the way it is. Well, they, they see the grace. They see your peace. They see your love. They see peace that is way above all expression of anxiety. And they see the way in which you love one another. Oh, yes, it's, they're watching and they see it. But also, they are in wonder that the grace of God is hitting up against them as they see this. And so, we have the grace, and our persecutors, or those who are simply watching, they feel the impact of that, and they can't escape that impact. And so, he said, in that day, but remember, it's speaking of our whole life, for the fruit of the Spirit is joy, just in normal living as a believer. But in this day of persecution, it shows up, I say again, to the max. And it uses the word rejoice and, and be glad. Now, th this, this word rejoice, blessed are you, already we've used the word blessed, which means an extreme joy. But now he adds to that rejoice, 
And when you see the word or the letters R-E, re, it means do it again and again. And so rejoice before you get any further is um, joy on top of joy on top of joy and be glad, which is the singing, soaring heart. And so we, we face this and I have to ask, what, what is rejoice? What is it? It describes extreme joy. And now hear me very carefully because this isn't what I'm about to say doesn't fit the church in the United, in North America or, or in the UK either. Um, th- this word, rejoice and be glad, I say is extreme joy that involves physical and vocal expression. It's a, it's a strong word, and yet it's all through the Scripture. Let me tell you, what what the word means in the Hebrew language, and that's brought over into the New Testament by the writers, it, it, it has the idea of spinning around. And that can be a person in a state of extreme joy in which they physically w- would feel to spin around. It, it's the extreme act of, of a dance in which the dancer can spin around. Um, rejoice, yeah. It, it also meant, because so many times the word was used to, uh, to describe a company of people, that they would rejoice together and, and they, they would hold hands and dance around in sheer joy. I remember I was in um, JFK Airport in New York City uh, some long time ago on my way to Israel. And uh, I was sitting in the lounge waiting for the flight to be called. And and there were a number of rabbis there. You know, the fellows in New York City with the great big bushy beards and wearing their hats and and long coats and, and very, very obviously rabbis. And they were just sitting there and suddenly as if by a, an unheard command, they, they leaped to their feet, grabbed each other's hands, and right there in the El Al Lounge in New York City, they began dancing around and around and shouting um, that we, we go to Jerusalem, we go to Jerusalem, the Lord be praised. And for the first time in my life, I'd really seen what this word means. It's extreme joy. Um, It's also translated as uh, um, a trembling with excitement. It's it's a joy that is in your deepest, inmost self that that is almost vibrating. Joy, gladness. It also, along with that spinning around, which those rabbis did, they, they shouted with exultation. And um, I think it's the Passion Translation that puts it as glory shouts. Uh, It's there. Now, I know, I know they don't do that on Sunday morning in your church, do they? Um, In in fact, I've I've heard some of these, especially in the Psalms, where it commands us to rejoice. And I've heard these um, readers read it like they're, they're reading the Manhattan phone book, you know, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, you've totally missed it. That there's got to be 
What can I say what I've just said? Rejoice in the Lord. It, rejoicing is, it, it is spirit, my inmost being, but it involves my emotions. It involves my men, mentals, my mind, but it also involves my body. And it is trusting God with my body, my mind, my emotions, and my inmost spirit. And most believers in our Western world trust God somewhere buried deep in their deepest heart that, that no one could ever find it. Um, well, that's enough of that. Um, but, that. But that's the meaning of the word rejoice. And, and this is more than interesting. I was going to say interesting is much more than interesting. It's here in this verse we're looking at, but also it's all through the Bible. We are commanded to rejoice. Blessed are you when people persecute you so-and-so. Rejoice. That's imperative. It, it, it doesn't say, I hope you feel happy. No, it, it's a command to rejoice. And that's where I say again that th this is not something that is limited to persecution. Persecution, it shows up all the more. But we are commanded in the imperative all through the Bible to rejoice. And never does it say that we are to rejoice in our circumstances. That is, rejoice is not a response to circumstance. Rejoicing is always portrayed as a response to who God is and the fact He is with us and the fact He will never leave us and the fact that He is all that He is with us. Look, ju just let me throw it out. Psalm 32, 11. And again, this is a command. It's in the imperative, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Psalm forty sixteen. Let all who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Not in circumstances. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. That is, let, let it be seen in your life that which might have been missed, uh, even as a magnifying glass brings out the fullest beauty of something. So let God be seen in your life. Psalm eighty-nine, sixteen. In, in your name they rejoice all the day. This is just being a believer. That, that your day is filled with this upbeat, shall I say, this holy energy surging within you of seeing God and being glad in Him. By your righteousness they are exalted. Isaiah 61.10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. Now, there, there, he is joining his will, his intention to the command and saying, yes, I will. Again, that, that, that is against what, whatever may be happening, whatever I may see, I choose, I intend, I will rejoice greatly. There you have the exceeding, the over-the-top 
in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. He's clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's wrapped me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And one one last I have to say, Philippians 4 and 4. Paul wrote this when he was waiting to hear whether he would be martyred for his faith. It all depended on the mood of the emperor. And he's waiting and he, he thinks it's going to be death. He's been talking about it. But all through Philippians, in fact, Philippians could be described as the letter of rejoicing. And here, in the middle of waiting to see whether you're going to be martyred, he writes the words, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Look, to get this, you are never alone. This is the gospel. That if if you're working in your office or, or you're cleaning the streets or you're whatever, you're, you're in the home, in the neighborhood, there is no place that you are ever alone. You live in the consciousness that you are in Christ and He's in you and you live in Christ at the right hand of the Father, all brought together in the Holy Spirit. And even if you forget that as you are absorbed in living, it doesn't change it. You don't have to think about it to make it happen because you is. That's where you are. You do not live alone. And therefore, of course, when it comes to persecution and even death, you do not die alone. Do you get that? You neither live alone nor die alone. You are inside of Christ for life or for death. And in every moment, whatever that moment presents, you are dwelling inside the grace of God. Jesus tells us in John's Gospel, it's in chapter 15, he tells us, my joy I give to you and that your joy might be full. He said, I am the source of your joy. I put my joy inside of you, which means then he puts his joy inside our emotions and our mind and perceptions of life and in our bodies. And, and, and it, when he gives it, what he gives, his joy, it becomes ours. And it's now so that your joy might be full. Of course it would be full. It's got a limitless joy. But but Jesus said, "I, I can do this because of what I've just said to you. But what did he just say? He's just got through talking about the vine and the branches, that you are organically joined to him, that the whole Christian life is summed up in I in you and you in me. And he said, because of that, because I've told you that, and because that's ultimate reality, then my joy I give to you. Hmm. Can, 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 can I get this? We, we as believers, believers 101, we are indwelt 
by the joy of God himself. Think about that. The joy of God is resident within us. And what, what is the joy of God? The joy of God, which of course, there's no such thing as unjoy, is there? <laughs> the joy of God is unbegun, unending positive because God sees himself and he knows the perfection and the unlimitedness of his love and his compassion and his kindness and his goodness. And he knows himself and he joys in himself. And, and God knows his wisdom, the wisdom of God that could ever put together this plan that you would be saved into the very presence of the heart of the Holy Trinity. How would God ever do that? And who could ever come up with the plan that God himself would join himself to you and personally bring you home? And God knows his wisdom and he rejoices in his own wisdom because of its perfection. And he rejoices in his power, which knows no end, for with him all things are possible. Now we are indwelt by his joy. We see him, we see ourselves, and we see the circumstances as he sees them. And we joy in God with God's own joy. We participate as Jesus ultimately fully did participate in the Father's joy. Huh. It says even when Jesus suffered on the cross, which is persecution to the max, it says that he went through that for the joy that was set before him. He saw God's wisdom and purpose. This is what it's talking about. It's not positive thinking. It's not, you know... Cheer up, it's a sunny day. It's not genetic. It's not something to do with your personality. It's not trying to look on the bright side. No, this is the beating heart of God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit who rejoice together. And you're included in their rejoicing. Hey, here's, we could go off on this, but remember Luke 15 over and over, the lost coin, the lost sheep. And, and do you remember what the shepherd said, what the woman said? Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep. God comes to us and includes us and says, Rejoice with me. This is the Christian life. It's Christ, God himself, living within me through the Spirit. And notice, I go back to it. We said it a moment ago, but, but it says this is a command. It's a command. It's imperative. Rejoice. Put an exclamation point. And boy, in this realm, I, I don't know if I can ask you to think it without meditating on it for a few days or weeks or months. <laughs> a command? You see, as far as the world is concerned, and as far as much that religion has exposed us to, 
the best they can arrive at is happiness. And you see, I can't command you to be happy. I can't. Because the very word and what the word happiness describes is absolutely not intentional. If you're happy, hear me very carefully, if you're happy, it means that you uh, are the, what can I say, you're owned by your circumstances and you're owned by the people in those circumstances and because those circumstances, that, that is, to use English language, the, the, the haps, and that's a big word in the dictionary, you can look it up, H-A-P-S, the haps, um, which describe the word hap means fate or chance. And so the chance happenings, see, hap happenings, the, the chance, the fate of how people have treated you, of everything that's happened in your life, well, um, if you then judge it. You judge the haps, and you decide that this one's good. And if it's good, then I make a response to it. I bounce off it, and we call it happiness. That is... Uh, because I've been washed up on the right beach, um, because this has happened to me and I judge it as good, then I'm happy. But you see, it's not mine. I don't own it. It, it, it came to me and I judged it. And, and so I'm up and down like a yo-yo because the next hap or the next wash up on the, it's the wrong beach, and I judge it as an evil thing. It's bad. It makes me have pain. And so now I'm, I'm unhap. I'm unhap. And that life that we, we search for, happiness, is, is inevitably leads to negativity because most of life is squeezed between bits and pieces of happiness that, that happen. Um, and, and so complaining, which complaining is exalting evil. Complaining is, is saying God is absent, God has abandoned me, and that leads to despair. No, we are commanded to rejoice. This is something altogether different. Um, commanded. Well, what is that word? You say you're getting back into law now. Mm-mm-mm. Now, the word command, um, let, what, 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 uh, what does it mean when Jesus said, you keep my commandments? What, what does he mean? Is he added to the 10? Do we now have 11 or 12? What did he mean? No, let me give you a definition of the word command. And think about it, and you'll see that it, that is so. A command is an implanted goal. It's an implanted direction given. And we respond to that implanted goal with joy (laughs) because it's God's goal. It's God's telling us what's happening right now. It's his direction for the moment and he speaks it into us through the Spirit and we respond and the joy of that 
overcomes all the opposition. And therefore, obedience to a command, that is, obedience to that implanted desire through the Spirit, um, well, what's obedience? And really, the heart of that word is to stand under, that is, to submit and say yes to what, what I'm hearing. But the, the center of the word obedience is listen. Listen. Um, and another way of saying it, especially in the Old Testament, it says, hearken. You, you know, um, you, you say to your children, are you listening to me? Or do, do you hear me? It, it's, we, we recognize that sounds can be on the air, but we're not listening. We don't hear it. We don't realize the depth of what is being said. Well, obedience means listen. Listen, 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 hear what God is saying. And sometimes you might sit in front of the Word of God for days and just simply listen and let it roll over you as He's implanting His desires in you. Well, listen to this, that He who dwells in you is the source of unlimited joy. For all the reasons I've spent the last half an hour saying. Now, obedience is listen to that and let your life fall into line with that. And the result, it says, intentional joy. You choose to rejoice. It's not because things are going right. (laughs) It's not because everybody around you is nice and are trying to help you. No, you are in the middle of persecution. And as I say, this kicks back into life now that any kind of opposition, any kind of threat, whether it be a threat of an opportunity I've never had before or the threat of a challenge that I've never faced before, wherever I find myself, this pressure, well, he says, you, you don't judge life by that. You don't say, well, that's an evil thing. That's bad. That's good. Now, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Quit it. That died at the cross. We live now. We own our joy because we received it directly into our hearts by the Spirit. We chose to look to the God to His infinite joy. We listen to the God of covenant. And we freely choose. We own our response to Him. It's got nothing to do what they say and He says and she says and He does and she does. No, we, we are speaking to Him who is our life. We are responding to Him. We're listening to Him. He is with us in this. He is our strength in this. We are surrounded by His love. We're upheld by His strength. No, we see, we don't live with the external. We, we don't, they don't control us. Just because she said a nasty thing and I lose sleep for a week. Yeah, don't be daft, man. You live in him who is your life. And so joy is intentional, I say again. It arises from the choice to rest in the revelation of who God the Father and Son really is is in you and you in them. And once you get this, 
that, that in this moment that otherwise would cause anxiety and all manner of worries and fears and despair and hopelessness, instead you're now looking at him and you rejoice. That is, you, with your mouth. Yes, you might even clap your hands because rejoicing, you see, is physical trust. Did you get that? Rejoicing is physical trust. You trust in God, then let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Speak it. Speak it out into the invisible world, the God who is love, that you are the apple of his eye, that for you, Jesus not only came, but through the Spirit he lives in you now. Speak it. And, and, and let the excitement of God's grace at work in you rise. You know, you read it in Scripture, and you've met Christians who do it. I know they, they raise their hands. Well, what does that, that mean? It is that I can't keep them down. I raise my hands in joy. I clap my hands. It even speaks of he has set my feet to dancing. Yes, I know that religion lost that a century ago, but it's in the Scripture. It's rejoicing. It is rising above your circumstance to bathing God. And, and so we see beyond what my eyes can see. It says that you thus rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. Oh, I know. I know. Religion told you that, so you've got to die first, and then you're going to get your mansion and, and probably get a gold watch or something because you made it. Oh, come on. Please get rid of that idea that heaven's in a distant, remote future at the end of this time thing. No, heaven is always described as here, and now the throbbing presence of God, heaven. Heaven, my dear friend, is not a golden mansion. No, uh, your, your state of living beyond death is beyond words. That's why we really don't know. It's too much beyond. Right now... In heaven means that I am seated in Christ Jesus now in the very presence of the Father. And I, I, my, my heart leaps there in the Holy Spirit. You've read it. It's in the Scripture. You're seated in the heavenly places. And it says that, that such will possess the kingdom of heaven. And again, they've dumped that off in some millennium or far future. No, the kingdom of God, says Romans 14, is here. And now it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit now. And persecution shows this up. Of course it does. They're trying to persecute you, and you sit there recognizing more the presence of God than them. And you, you sit in the kingdom of God with, with the grace giving you the peace and the joy and the sense and knowledge of righteousness. Reward, reward. It, it's, I say it, it's not a gold watch you get because you made it. No, what, what is reward in the Scripture? Reward is organic. That is, it's the fulfillment of a life pursuit. Look, you, you love that lady. You love that man. What's the reward of that love? You get married. So the reward is organically linked to all of life. The longings of your heart. What's the reward of that is you get them. 
<laughs> I mean, this is, I don't know. Well, when I was 17, I memorized the New Testament. It took me three or four years. What's the reward of that? The reward is I don't need a concordance. <laughs> the reward is that when I see truth, suddenly my whole brain is filled with scriptures that relate to that. That's a poor illustration. But it's, you pursue something, the reward is you get it. Great is your reward in heaven. Yes, you, you, the Holy Spirit has put in you the desire after the life of God, put into you the desire of knowing his love as you've never known it before. And what's the reward? You have it. <laughs> and, and it is so. It's now. And he brings you. And the persecution sets it up all the more so. All the more so. You see, this rejoicing is rooted in trust. It's rooted in the covenant favor of God and his blessing. We know his grace is for us. Therefore, as we move into life with all these possibilities, we expect and we anticipate that the grace of God, this sense of presence, this empowerment will be there. And we don't judge what will happen when it happens by now, because now, right at this minute, as I'm talking to you, I, I don't have the grace to face persecution. I have the grace to talk to you, and I'm, I'm using it in, in grace. You had the grace to listen. And when other circumstances arise, you'll have the grace to handle it. And you can stake your life on that. This is the covenant favor of God. This is his blessing that he's sworn by himself. You can expect it, anticipate it. You know that when such times come, that you can rejoice, you will rejoice. And you start practicing that as you go through life until your mouth has been washed clean of filthy complaining and whining and victim, and you are a person who sets your sights on God and let your words and actions show it. So, it's not an empty hope. This is just not words. This isn't something you go to church on Sunday morning and look at your watch when it gets to 12. No, this is your life. This is the throbbing reality that you and I, who are creatures, are now living our lives inside of the triune God himself. Expectancy is a, is a way of life. We, we listen to his word and we expect of him. And I say again, it, it arises especially at this time of death. Now, I, I just looked at my watch because I don't know whether we've got time to do justice to this. Maybe we need another week. You see, death, please don't turn me off, Death was the cruel master of human life. Death hid inside of every happiness. Just when 
poor humans were as happy as they could hope for, they heard the voice saying, I'll get you in the end. They lived their life under the shadow of death that would get them in the end until the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Do you realize that? Well, it's what the Scripture says, a new creation. Please understand it. You see, I, I know I was, spiritually speaking, I was raised with it, that why did Jesus come? Jesus came to die for us. That, that I, I feel something rising inside of me. I have to say, no, he didn't. Jesus came to rise from the dead, and not merely for us, but as us. Do you realize if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he was a pathetic wannabe prophet? No, the the death of Jesus has no meaning at all unless he rose from the dead. Then from his resurrection, we go back and understand something more that that wasn't death like we thought it was. And when we say resurrection, he was not raising to the dead from from death like say Lazarus or Jairus's daughter. They they were raised from the dead, but they died again. No, Jesus' resurrection. No, it wasn't that. They were really they couldn't use the word resurrection there. They were resuscitated. No, resurrection means that he conquered death. Do you understand? Okay, put it this way. Death died. Jesus killed death. When he was resurrected, it meant that he would never die again. And it means that we would never die again because he had no reason to even go into death apart from us. And so death died in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we, you and I, are, can I say it again, inside of him. And he, through the Spirit, is inside of you. Who is inside of you? John writes of meeting with the ascended Jesus in Revelation 1.17. And Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Don't let fear control you, he said. Listen, I am the first and the last. That is, I was before all beginnings and I am after all ends. I am the living one. That means more than I'm alive. It means I am life itself, for I have conquered death. I I now have life that is beyond the touch of death. I was dead. Have you ever heard anybody say that? And behold, or amen, I am alive forevermore. That is, I never will have to do this again. It's been finally forever done. And I have the keys or the authority over death and over the invisible world beyond death. I don't know how you see that. Is it something you stick on the wall? No, that one that I just quoted 
what he said, that one lives inside of you and you live inside of him. Let it echo around your soul. Don't let fear control you. Don't be afraid. He's in you. You're one with him. I am the first and the last. I am livingness. He's in you. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. You see, we face every, every opposition with this radical, out-of-this-world attitude that knows no fear of death because resurrection himself dwells within us. And he tells us that we experience his triumph. And facing the threat of death, we see this in the clearest fashion. Um, I, I'm going to finish on this uh, and pick it up next week. That we, we need more time on this. But let me say this, that here, especially in North America, but I'm sure other places, but especially North America, North America is afraid of death. And so avoids looking at death, avoids thinking about death. And so the dying are put off into a hospital and filled with tubes and drugs and we don't have to see them die. Please, I'm, I, I want to say this with compassion because it, it's the world in which we live. But I'm old enough, and some of you might be old enough too, to remember when that wasn't so. And I lived um, for about seven years in, in Ireland. And in Ireland, I lived way back, just south of Londonderry and above Belfast. And uh, the, the, there were no hospitals. I know that's hard to think, but there were no hospitals. And so when a person was to die, they were sent home. And the whole family collected in the home to be there with them as they died. And, of course, the pastor, I was the pastor, we were, well, that you camped out there until they died. And I'm using the term die, but nobody thought of it really like that because they knew they were going into that world in which we already lived, but now we're going to see with new eyes and have new senses to live there in the world where Christ is all in all. And I, I thank God for those years because I saw believers die and realized what the Scripture says is true. Jesus said that he who believes on me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said that. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes on me shall never die. I've seen that. People who at home in their bed without any help from any hospital. I've seen a person in a coma suddenly shoot up in bed 
eyes blazing with a blue light such as I've never seen. And they will put out their hand and say, look, do you see him? And they put out both hands and then they are dead, I suppose you could say. And the family all see this and therefore they sorrow for they've lost a loved one for the present moment anyway. But they do not sorrow as those who have no hope for they have seen the reality of this gospel. I've seen it. And I, I could repeat uh, story after story after story that follows that same... Um, I, you just take my word for it. Um, I lived in that, what today we would call primitive world, but in that world you saw how thin the veil is. And to know that Jesus has totally conquered. Death has no sting. Death has no authority. The best death can do is escort us like an old servant into the very presence of the visible, truly visible, while we, we, we stay behind. So we, we do not sorrow as others which have no hope. But notice it says we do not sorrow as others, but we sorrow but not like others. Of course you sorrow because you've lost a loved one. But the sorrow belongs to you and I. The one who has died has entered into this joy that is beyond all words and life beyond all description. And see, the death of a believer if, if you ever see it properly, forever tells you that, that death has died and we are living in life itself. One last thing and I'm done. This, you see, we've stuffed all this at the end of time and it isn't. It's all throbbing now. We, we are living now in that life. He who rose from death death in whichever form it comes whichever threat it takes if it's persecution saying I'll kill you or whether it's that insidious hopelessness that comes into life no we we have been to our own funeral in baptism we have raised with Christ we are persons who already are living in this world but not of this world but of the life that is ours in Christ and I, I remember, I didn't do it deliberately, but I, I found myself in a situation which so illustrate, at least to me it illustrated it. It, it was back in, I don't know, the 80s. I, I was traveling all the time in those days and, and would often be in, in Africa. And um, of course, that's the other side, well, at least where I was going in Africa, was the other side of the equator, which meant... Um, the seasons are all backwards, you see. So when it's our winter, it's their summer. And I was on my way to Johannesburg and to do work in, in South Africa, but also in Mozambique and in Kenya and so on. And, and um, so I, I, I knew what that's where I was. Well, it was, it was in November and we already had snow coming in in New York. And I remember driving down to the airport and I was dressed in a summer suit 
in fact, it was uh, made for, for the jungle. It was sort of a safari suit, but uh, very much for the summer. And outside, we were having blasting cold winds and snow was in the wind. And I remember getting out of the taxi limousine at, at, at the airport, and here I stood <laughs> in a summer safari suit. And I, 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 the reason I, I was going to get on a plane here, but I would get off that plane in summertime, heat, and jungle, and I was dressed for where I was going, and I, and I realized suddenly how stupid I looked. I, I, I stood out like a sore thumb, and everybody was looking, and then they smirked and laughed at each other and pointed at me. Um, and I realized, you and I today, we're dressed for the eternal world. We, we are dressed, our whole demeanor, all our behaviors and our thought life is because we dwell inside of the God who is love. We are the beloved of the Father, one with Jesus. We, we dwell in the midst of wisdom and know that life has meaning and purpose, and we dwell in the midst of the power of God with whom nothing is impossible. That's where we live. But we live in the midst of a world that still believes the lie. And it's a world of gloom and darkness and icy winds and fears and anxieties. And here we stand in heaven's garb. That's what a Christian is. And they laugh at us. They point at us. Of course they do. They don't have a clue what, what's going on. But then they look again and say, I would like to live in midsummer, in the midst of this blizzard. And they come and ask a reason for the hope that is in us. Or they hate us for being different, but that only shows up where we really come from. Well, I trust this has been a further insight as we've sort of circled this verse and looked at its words. And may the blessing of the Holy Spirit's revelation be yours to open the eyes of your heart, to discover in Him the vastness of this salvation. It's astonishing, amazing character. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is. Amen.